All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of Rebel with a Cause. And joining me today, a man that needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyways, the great Scott Horton, Managing Director of Antiwar.com, Libertarian Institute, all of those places. How's it going, Scott? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, not a problem at all. So um, I think one thing that uh, a lot of our Republican friends don't realize is that there is a genocidal war going on in Yemen. Yeah, there sure is. It's the single worst thing going on in the world right now, if you ask me. Uh, I, I tend to agree. I tend to agree. But uh, a lot of what I met with is, oh, there is or yeah, but that's Obama's thing. So they haven't quite understood that, yes, uh, Orange Man is actually indeed bad. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Uh, it's absolutely right that it's Obama's fault. But of course, Donald Trump could have stopped the thing on January the 20th, 2017. And it's 100% his responsibility ever since then. Yeah. And, you know, the nice thing about responsibility is it's a quality, not a quantity. So you can divide it up all over the place. Mohammed bin Salman is also 100 percent responsible. Yes. Each and every U.S. contractor and spy who's participated, every naval officer who's participated, also 100 percent responsible for the war. Yep. Uh, because why not? Yeah. I mean, uh, responsibility is definitely not a fixed pie. So that's right. <laughs> Enough of those slices to go around. But, uh, That's absolutely right. Uh, uh, go ahead and take us through the uh, the history of that, starting with Obama. I think it started in like uh, 2015, if memory serves. Well, so let's go back at first. Um, it, Obama comes into power in January of 2009, of course. And by really that autumn, he had inaugurated the beginnings of – I guess in the summer it was Pakistan. And then by the autumn, the drone war uh, was being implemented in Yemen. Essentially what had happened was Obama had told the CIA that forget, you know, hunting down ex-Bathists. I want real Al-Qaeda guys to die and I want you to do it and I mean it. I'm not winking and nudging, I guess. <laughs> so that was what they did. They targeted real friends of bin Laden and Zawahiri in Pakistan and in Yemen and they did kill a great number of them. Um, but of course, there's always consequences yeah. from every action. And in the case of Yemen, country's a little bit of a basket case in the first place and, uh, you know, maybe not a wise area to go messing around unnecessarily. Right. It turns out the cost of bribing the central government of Yemen to allow that CIA drone war was a bunch of money and guns. And that was exactly what Obama paid them, a bunch of money and guns. And this is a government, the dictator, his name was Abdullah Saleh, S-A-L-E-H, Sala. And he had been the dictator since uh, he was the one who had united North and South Yemen after the fall of the Soviet Union and the fall then of communist controlled South Yemen. He reunited it in 1991 and had been the American backed dictator there ever since. Okay. Certainly American friendly client. I'm not saying he was a total sock puppet, but he was certainly an American friendly client state there all this time. Right. So um, what happened was he had his own problems. One that, uh, well, some that many Americans might not have heard of, including even in the government, or didn't pay much attention to or care about. And that was his problem. Oh, and I should mention, the Al-Qaeda guys were down in the south, and kind of southeast of the country, uh, near the port of Aden there, where the coal was bombed in the year 2000. And right. when we say Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, these are real Al-Qaeda guys. It's not like when they pretend that Al-Shabaab in Somalia is Al-Qaeda. Come on. Yeah. But these guys really are. They bombed the coal. They participated in 
And in fact, they had attacked Americans in 1995 at a training base there um, and at a hotel in 1992. And they also had helped to coordinate the September 11th attack and uh, the coal bombing. And um, they also had done the underpants bomb uh, Christmas 2009, just after the drone war started. Christmas 2009, the underpants bomber tried to blow up a plane over Detroit, you might remember. And then uh, shortly after that, I believe in 2010, there were two different printer cartridge plots. One of them, I think, was Saudi intelligence on a sting operation type thing. The other was a legitimate um, attempt to blow up a plane over the United States with bombs hidden in uh, printer cartridges. Right. So these are real Al-Qaeda guys, uh, just in case anyone was curious there, because that does come up, uh, whether we're talking about anybody who's ever actually done anything to us at all or not. And in this case, yes, they had. That doesn't justify the drone war against them, which, of course, killed innocent people. They call it a scalpel, but it's only a scalpel, a 500-pound bomb is a scalpel, not in comparison to an actual scalpel, is it? No, right. it's only a scalpel in comparison to George W. Bush marching the entire 3rd Infantry Division into Iraq the way he did. Right, but it would be like a... Yeah, it would be the like standard a, is peace. Right, the standard is not bombing someone, not complete overkill, and then anything less than complete overkill is okay. I'm sorry, what'd you say? Oh yeah, I was just going to say, in, in the terms of using a scalpel, it would be like conducting a surgery with a blunt shovel. You know, yeah, you're just, yeah, just exactly. going to make a mess of things. Yeah, exactly. And imagine if somebody drops a 500-pound bomb in your neighborhood on somebody's house, yeah. what that looks like, yeah, and how many innocent people die. That's exactly how it plays out there, of right. course. All right. So now Sala takes the money and guns, and he goes to war against a separatist group up in the north of the country, a group of Zaidi Shiites called the Houthis. And that's yeah. a family tribal last name, the, the last name of their leader going back to the 60s. And this is a group which originally, you won't be surprised, grew up in response to Saudi attempts to infiltrate their, uh, you know, right wing uh, Wahhabist extreme, you know, uh, Sunni extremist ideology into North Yemen, where these Zaidi Shia live. And then the fact that they're Zaidis, I don't know exactly what that means. It means they're much like Sunnis in many ways, and they're not the same as the uh, Shiite religion that is dominant in Iran. They are so-called Twelvers. So this is very roughly speaking a split between Catholics and Protestants type of interpretations here. Or maybe right. maybe vastly different types of Protestants would be a better comparison. Right. Something like that. Um, but anyway, um, these uh, Zaidi Shia, the Houthis, Salah has a problem with them and they have a problem with him. And so he routinely attacks them with American money and guns and in alliance with sometimes the very same Al-Qaeda guys that were paying him to let us kill and the Muslim Brotherhood, a group called Al-Islah, just the Muslim Brotherhood group there. And yet every time that they attack the Houthis in the north, the Houthis beat them and drive them back and get more and more powerful in response every time, more blowback and consequences. At the same time, of course, um, as could be predicted from the drone war, in South Yemen, it's not – well, it is killing individual al-Qaeda guys, some of them high-value targets, no question. And yet it's overall growing their movement by far. Yeah. And more and more people are signing up and al-Qaeda is growing. This blood is like water on their garden, so to speak. And so our war in the south against al-Qaeda is backfiring and Salah's war that he's waging with the supplies we've given him 
against the Houthis in the north is backfiring on him, too. Then the Arab Spring comes in 2011. And all the factions come together. I don't know if Al-Qaeda guys were there, but everybody else, Muslim Brotherhood, the Southern Socialists who are dominant um, in uh, Aden in the south of the country, right. and the Houthis. They all join together in the town square, just like uh, Tahrir Square in Egypt and the Pearl Roundabout in Bahrain and some of these other symbolic protests. And they demanded that Saleh leave power. Well, he refused. And they stayed out there for a while. Some people were killed. It wasn't the worst of the putting downs of the rebellions there. But then in 2012, uh, maybe it began in 2011, he was bombed twice. They were trying to assassinate Saleh. Um, and he was wounded the second time. And so was essentially out of power at home convalescing. I'm not exactly sure how grievous his wounds were, but he was essentially out of commission right. for a little while. And in that time, Hillary Clinton and the Saudis decided she was the secretary of state at the time under Obama in the first term there. And they decided what they would do is go ahead and remove him from power and elevate his vice president, a guy named Mansoor Hadi. And they would make him the new president. And they even held this ridiculous fake election. I mean, straight out of when I was a kid, this is what I learned about the Soviet Union was, oh, yeah, yeah they have elections, but there's only one party on the ballot. Yeah. Well, in this case, America held an election in Yemen and there was one man on the ballot, one name, one picture, one oval to fill in or put your check mark. And anyone can just put in Google images, hottie ballot. And there it is. And 100 stories mocking it. Can you believe this? And Hillary Clinton said, this is the advent of Yemeni democracy. Everybody celebrate. Yeah. Because not, well, nothing about a single candidate go says, uh, you know, legit election, right? So. We, we used to chide uh, Saddam Hussein for doing the exact same thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. And they cover, of course, for al-Sisi in Egypt when he you know, is reelected with a 97% approval rating. Yeah. Uh, Saddam Hussein-like. And that's perfect. That just shows how much his public loves him. Sure. According <laughs> to the Americans, depending on which side they're on, of course. Um, but now, so Hadi, here's the thing about him. He did not have, uh, you know, real control over the different factions, the way that his predecessor Sala had. Remember when Tony Soprano had surgery and they let Silvio run everything for a while? Oh, yeah. It didn't really work <laughs> out. It's sort of like that. He's had an even worse handle on things. And he deliberately picked a fight with the Houthis. And he thought this would be smart politics to pick a fight with them. And um, one of the things that he did was he tried to pass this law for strong federalism that would essentially draw like really hard state boundaries where previously had been regional borders in drawn in pencil, so to speak. Right. Which would essentially cut off their access to the Red Sea, which is just a declaration of war. Yeah. That's, give me a break. It's like you're going to carve a new state out of Texas Gulf Coast and cut off the rest of Texas from the sea, huh? Yeah. Not without a fight. You're not. Give me. Come on. OK. That was the equivalent there. Um, and then uh, he attacked them and lost. And, but here's the rub. And I bet you the CIA didn't see this coming. Probably not. <laughs> it turns out that Saleh, when he left power, was driven out of power. He didn't go retire to Mount Vernon and tend to his farm and his slaves. Instead, he took his army with him. And he marched north not to battle against the Houthis, but to shake their hands and join in an alliance with the Houthis. 
guess what? It turns out that while Sala, the former dictator, was not a Houthi, he is a Zaid or was a Zaidi Shiite and actually had enough in common with them after all to make an alliance. So then now you have the Houthis plus the Yemeni army that they had defeated in battle four or five times now in alliance together marching on the capital city. And in 2014, at the end of 2014, they seized the capital city. And this is so important. Okay. Um, I have these two articles. Uh, this one is uh, right here from Al Monitor from January the 22nd, 2015, by Barbara Slavin, friend of the show. She's at the Atlantic Council. She's a hawk on some things, but she's pretty good on Iran, and I like her. Yeah. And um, anyway, this is a firsthand report. You, you can't shake a stick at. It's perfect. There's nothing you can do about it. U.S. maintains intelligence relationship with Houthis, and the source is straight out of the mouth of Lieutenant General Michael Vickers, Deputy Secretary of Defense for Intelligence. Okay, hmm. sitting in Cambone's chair. And he is saying, he's announcing, we are working with the Houthis to target and kill Al-Qaeda guys. Again, the Houthis are Shia. The Al-Qaeda guys would like to see them all hanged, including their babies, right? Right. Uh, and so that's it. They're absolutely deadly enemies. And according to this take, CENTCOM thought, great, let's give the Houthis intelligence to use to target and kill Al-Qaeda guys with. And they all agreed. Let's do it. And you can also read about it in uh, the Wall Street Journal. And give me just one moment to Google this because I have it right here. It's called In Strategic Shift, U.S. Draws Closer to Yemeni Rebels. Washington steps up communication with Houthis to promote stable political transition, fight against Al-Qaeda. And that is from January the 29th, 2015. Well, just two months later, Barack Obama stabs them in the back and takes Al-Qaeda's side against them. Hmm. March 2015. That was where your original question started off. This phase of the war. Right. Now, Why? What happened? Well, the Saudis wanted to start the war because the Saudis could not tolerate the Houthis taking power in Sana, uh, Sana'a, the capital city there. Right. They consider that to be uh, an Iranian beachhead if uh, Shia are in power there. So it's absolutely intolerable. And so they named this war Operation Decisive Storm. They're going to go in there right away and do something about that. And at the time, remember, it was the spring of 2015 was right when John Kerry was working on the finalization of the nuclear deal with Iran. Now, you might think that the Saudis would be very pleased with the nuclear deal with Iran. Here, America is taking Iran's nuclear program and forcing them to scale it way back. I mean, for real, they poured concrete into their Iraq heavy water reactor. Yeah. Uh, and many other things. And not only that, but ex- inspections and accept uh, brand new, much lower limits on, for example, how much uranium they're allowed to hold at any one time and all of these kinds of things. Well, that on the face of it secures Saudi Arabia's interests. Perfect. Uh, the double, triple, quadruple locking down of their enemies' civilian nuclear program to absolutely ensure that it does not become a nuclear weapons program. What could be wrong with that? Yeah. Well, what's wrong with that is that 
it signaled to them they believed Obama was really ready to turn on them hmm. and was ready to really tilt back toward the Persians like it had been from the 50s through the 70s and um, rely on them to uh, bolster our dominant position in the region at Saudi expense. And in fact, just normalizing relations with Iran at all, meaning lifting all the sanctions, allowing them to trade and be treated as a normal country would very much increase Iran's power, not really at Saudi's expense, but relative to their their amount of power and influence that they have in the region. Yeah. So that was concern of the Saudis. So in order essentially to make America display loyalty to Saudi, they demanded that we help them start this war. That was essentially what it was. It was a test of Obama's loyalty to Saudi Arabia as the leader of the United States. And Obama said, okay, let's start the war. And we know that that's true because that's what the Obama people told the New York Times themselves. And all you have to do is Google the phrase, placate the Saudis. They knew that the war would be long, bloody, and indecisive. I always say indeterminate and get it wrong. Sorry, everybody, for saying it wrong before. Long, bloody, and indecisive. In other words, we don't know what victory is supposed to look like here. Yeah. We describe it to you, and we can't tell you how we're going to get there from here. But we can tell you it's going to take a long time, and a lot of innocent people are going to die of blood loss. But— We have to placate the Saudis, quote, placate the Saudis, because they're upset that we're making this nuclear deal with Iran. And based on that, they launched this war. And I want to reference one more thing. I don't have the exact title, but if people Google it, they can find it. It's a report by, not a report, I don't know, a story uh, that was originally in the Atlantic, and it's also at Defense News, and it's by Robert Malley, who worked for Obama. And... It's about the Yemen war. He wrote it, I think, one year ago. And he's saying in in 2019, I'm almost sure. And he's saying, we got to end this war in Yemen. This is so bad. But then he has this one really big paragraph where he admits and talks about the discussion inside the Obama White House about how they decided to launch this war. Hmm. And essentially, it sounds like a skit from some stupid show, like a dumber one even than Saturday Night Live or something. Right. Where they're essentially going, I don't know. Do you want to start a war? What does Susie think? Well, Susie thinks that we should. I guess so. You're wearing a – oh, that's a really nice dress you're wearing today. So, yeah, I guess – yeah, let's start the war, huh? I don't know. And then the way he says – he called them back and asked them about their recollections of the decision-making process to start this war. And how all he gets is a bunch of hemming and hawing and hardly anyone remembers anything at all. Yeah. And one person said that they seemed to think that they remembered Obama said, well, let's help them defend themselves, but not actually wage the war. But others, they don't remember it that way at all. They say that, yeah, Obama said, well, go ahead and do it. I don't know. Or whatever it is. And you could just see like this is the way wars are started. It's essentially a bunch of people who have. You know, these sort of half-baked opinions that they're not even really invested in. They've just been asked that they got to opine something. And so I guess I'm on Jimmy's side because I like Jimmy or whatever it is. And this, they start the war on this. Yeah. When all Obama had to do was tell them, no, we're not going to do that. And that would have been that. Yeah. He's the king of the world. All he had to do was say no. Yeah. And instead he told them, yeah, sure. I don't know. Go ahead. Shrug. 
and started the war again, you know, obviously based on no legal authority whatsoever. Yeah. Just like the war in Libya, no legal authority whatsoever does the president have to just start a war like that. George W. Bush didn't dare invade Iraq on his own say so. Yeah, he would have been ousted from office, you know, pretty quick. Yeah, he did do it. I mean, in violation of the law because he didn't have a U.N. resolution. Not that I care too much about that part. But, yeah, there's no way he would have done it without Congress. He didn't even consider doing it without Congress. Cheney may have, but Bush Jr. never did. That's right. Um, And so they had no authority to do this whatsoever. And now, as, uh, you know, your listeners may have already divined while I'm sitting here stammering Mm -hmm. that if this war is against the Houthis – that CENTCOM was backing in January of 2015, then at least in a de facto sense, and you're absolutely right, ever since then, for five years now, this has been a war for Al-Qaeda. Yep. And yes, de facto, not directly, but boy, kind of, sort of directly. I mean, not just indirectly. For example... The Al-Qaeda guys had seized entire towns and military bases and armories, importantly, tax bases. Yeah. For years, they ruled these two major towns east of Aden. And at some point, this became too embarrassing for, I think it was the Obama government. It may have been during Trump. Um, I'm sorry. I really don't remember which it was. Uh, I guess I'm going to say this might have been under early Trump, 2017, something like that. Right. Um, And what happened was that the uh, Americans wanted to bomb all the Al-Qaeda guys and the United Arab Emirates, which is part of the coalition with Saudi and America, they struck a deal with the Al-Qaeda guys and instead integrated them into their militia, directly into their militia. They said, you guys are going to have to give up these towns that you outright control now, but we'll keep the Americans from bombing you. So they brought them into their militia, which is mostly a bunch of mercenaries from Africa and who knows where else. Right. I th- Red Colombians or something. Um, and there was American uh, veteran officers over there uh, working for mercenary outfits and serving as officers in the UAE's militia. Yeah. With, and the AP has big stories about uh, the UAE's uh, prisons in Yemen, uh, mercilessly torturing people, roasting them on a spit um, and, uh, and murdering them in all kinds of creative ways and all these things. And CNN, and yes, I know it is CNN, but this is a credible story. It was verified and not disputed, and it was very real that they had all this footage of these Al-Qaeda guys, Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, driving around in American MRAPs. That's the, uh, the um, as they, I'm trying to remember what the act, the, the initials stand for, but it's the mine-resistant. Yeah, the mine. Yeah, mine-resistant armored, armored personnel carrier or something like that. Um, so they have the V-shaped bottoms and the extra armor to prevent the the landmine killings. Too little, too late for most Americans that died of those things in right. Iraq and Afghanistan. Still, and here's the Al Qaeda guys. And this is not like the footage from Iraq War Three, where you had ISIS guys driving around in American vehicles that essentially they stole from Iraqi army military bases that America had left for them. Right. These are guys who were directly given this equipment and have been the beneficiaries of this war. To incredible degrees. And then let me say one more thing here um, before I uh, let you start asking more questions, which is that the strategy of the war all along. Well, no, I got two more things here. First of all, none of this could be happening without the United States. Yeah. Okay. They're all American planes, American bombs, American military 
intelligence and contractors who are doing all of the intelligence, the targeting and all of this stuff. And for at least the first four years of the war, it was American tankers refueling the Saudi F-15s over Yemen while they're, um, you know, loitering, looking for targets to bomb. And the U.S. Navy has, of course, helped to enforce the blockade on Yemen offshore and uh, all of the rest. Of it. And, of course, even maybe more important than that, the U.S. State Department has led the effort to protect Saudi Arabia and UAE and the entire coalition in this aggressive war against the people of Yemen yeah. in the international institutions and so forth as well. Um, so it absolutely is America's war. They came to Obama for permission in the first place. And if Donald Trump right now just spoke the word, it would be over. All he would have to do is say, chief of staff, call the secretary of defense and tell him I said to turn off the Yemen war. And it would be off by sundown today. That's it. Over. Done. And he won't do it. He can do it. And he won't do it. And it, you know, people, they call it the Saudi-led coalition. Well, it is, as Obama called it, leading from behind. That's the posture that they take. Let them call it a Saudi-led coalition. But we all already know yeah. America is the world empire. Saudi Arabia is our client state. Yeah. They do this at American really behest, at least de facto. The power is the Americans to decide every bit of this. There's no question about that. Yeah. And um, and then the other thing is that the Saudis deliberate policy the entire time has been to target civilian infrastructure, the water, the electricity, the sewage, the hospitals. And even the farms, grain silos, flocks of sheep in the field, all the irrigation systems, everything these people need to survive is the poorest country in the Middle East. It's not like UAE with all these oil palaces and all of this stuff. Yeah. It's the poorest country that there is. Yeah, and if the U.S. had been caught doing any of that stuff in Afghanistan or Iraq, uh, it, you know, that the Hague would come down on every U.S. soldier that there is. You know, there, there wouldn't be a place that anybody could hide from that. Yep. And this is us. This is the Americans. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it sounds like some hippie crap or some kind of um, hyperbolic sort of moralizing or something. But I think that it's really important, not just the individual people who are being killed here unnecessarily, but in the larger sense, for our sake, that this is the history of the world being written here. Yeah. This is what, as they say, we are doing. The most powerful nation in the history of the world picking on essentially the very weakest, just like the Somalis across the Red Sea there. Yeah. Picking on people who have never attacked us, who have no ability to defend themselves whatsoever. Again, the only Yemenis who ever threatened us were the guys we're fighting for now. Yeah. Al the Arabian Peninsula. Yeah, Not essentially the, acting as their air force. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, you know, when war began in 2015, there's um, a great Yemen expert named Michael Horton, no relation to me, who writes – he's from the Jamestown Foundation, I think, and they can be pretty hawkish sometimes. And uh, he writes for the American Conservative Magazine, and he told Mark Perry, the great Pentagon reporter, he said – this is during Iraq War III now, um, where America's fighting again on the Shiite side against the Islamic State there. Yeah. He says, McCain complains that we're, quote, flying as, as Iran's air force in Iraq right now. 
Well, and that's true. And of course, it's all McCain's fault in many ways over the years. So much anyway. is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's true. But in Yemen, and he's saying this as though, yeah, it goes without saying, guys, this is worse. We're flying as Al-Qaeda's Air Force in Yemen. And that was in March of 15. Okay. That was right when this started five years ago. And so for all of the bogus accusations, you know, as you kind of introduce this about orange man, bad, this and that kind of thing, the way everything is framed, they try to lie and smear John, I mean, uh, uh, Donald Trump, blame every single thing in the world on him. That's not really him. Take every half baked, half reported story and make the biggest deal out of it in the world and lie about him all day in a way that makes people rally around him and think he must be great if they got to work this hard to destroy him. And yet, no, he's guilty of the highest treason. Yeah. This is as bad as if he had sold us out to the Russians, which of course is a contemptible hoax. Yeah. Uh, utter ridiculous. A total yeah. lie. But this is that bad. These are the guys that tried to sink the coal. They killed 17 sailors. Before that, they bombed the Cobar Towers. Yeah. And Flew killed 19 American airmen there. Yeah. That's right. And so, you know, this is real ass Al-Qaeda, as you might put it. And America's on their side. And why? Because the Saudis and the Israelis hate Iran more. Yep. Hey, Scott, hold on just a second. And we're back. It's a, more know, of an enemy I think what of we should all do is interview yeah. Michael Vickers and ask him, what the hell's going on here, General? <laughs> Explain yourself, if you can. That's right. How can it be this way? And, you know, I mean, I get it, all the partisan incentives and all of that. Obama started it, so that puts all the liberals in a tough position to oppose it. But yeah, this is really bad. It's as bad as Iraq War II. And extremely innocent people are suffering. Yeah, people that have that are not fighting. It's like I was looking at some pictures, and it's like all little babies. You know, they've got cholera and every other kind of horrible disease yep. that comes just from not having clean drinking water. That's right, and they've had the worst cholera outbreaks in recorded history over the last three years. There, yeah. four years. Um, it's been an absolute catastrophe. And let me tell you something. I I know you may know from the show. Uh, I interview from time to time a Yemeni reporter from Sanaa named Nasser Arabi. Yeah. Great guy. Nasser used to be a New York Times reporter. And if you Google his name at the New York Times, you'll see that when it was the war against Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, they loved what he had to say, which yeah. is here's what happened today. And even when it had blowback and important stuff in there in context of what was going on, they had no problem with him. But they don't run him anymore. No, they wouldn't dare. Because that he tells me the truth about this war and in fact but you know what they did do finally only last year in 2019 i don't know i got what biden's got it might have been 2018 dude i'm starting to lose it <laughs> or very late at least three years in maybe four years in that the new york times worked with nasser arabi and he brought um he brought new york times reporters into the country and brought them to the hospitals to show them the children starving to death in the hospitals. Yeah. And so they finally did this, you know, giant report, this lengthy, um, you know, photojournalism essay for the New York Times Week magazine or something like that. Yeah. It's probably most of the pictures that I saw online. 
book. And it is absolutely the stuff of nightmares. It's the kind of stuff that, you know, it's worse than watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something like that, which is just fake anyway. It's goofy to look at, but I mean, these are the real thing. Yeah, it it is absolutely. What's the worst thing that you could do to anyone? Uh, How about starve a child to death deliberately? Yeah. Pretty good. That's right up there on the list. How about in an aggressive war of treason for your enemies on behalf of a state that was never really your ally in the first place? Yeah. A totalitarian police state, a kingdom, a royal kingdom Uh, in Saudi Arabia. A theocracy, a a literal theocracy. The whole thing is sick and it's bankrupt in the worst ways, you know, morally, especially. And just like with all of this, it doesn't have to be this way. It simply doesn't. And in fact, Ro Khanna, a representative, uh, a representative from California, has just reintroduced another bill, another resolution to try to get us out of Yemen, to try to end the war in Yemen. Yeah, and it Don- deserves. Yeah, didn't support. Donald Trump uh, veto that the first time it came around? What was that last year? Yeah. yeah, you know what? They passed in 2018 and in 2019. They got both houses of Congress to pass resolutions invoking the War Powers Act of 1973, which is world historical has never happened before and was predicted to never happen ever. Right. Um, when would Congress have the courage to dare to stand up to a president over a war? And they did it, but then I forget which is which, but there's the concurrent resolution and the continuing resolution. And I forget which one is which, but one of them can be vetoed. And so that's the one they passed. Hmm. So they get to look tough, but Trump gets to veto it and go right on. But meanwhile, they could vote to stop financing the war immediately. Yeah, they, they could, could defund it. Yesterday, the House of Representatives passed a resolution to try to prevent Trump from spending money on leaving Afghanistan. Yeah. Uh, and they can pass one preventing him from staying in Yemen. Yeah, it's a utter ridiculous. Uh, and this is where the phrase clown world comes, because all of this stuff, I mean, to normal, sane, you know, logical people. I mean, we might as well just put on clown makeup. Yep. That's so, it's just a, so ridiculous. And there's no reason in the world why people should have to believe in this stuff, convince themselves that, you know, somehow their own identity is tied up with supporting this. You know, that reminds me of a story. I guess I'll tell it as long as I'm rambling. Go for it. I gave <laughs> at the Ron Paul thing in um, Lake Jackson last November. And a guy came up to me afterwards And he says, you know, I've been listening to Tom Woods for a long time. And out of all of his guests, and and he says, I've learned so much. And he's really made a libertarian out of me in so many ways and everything. And he said, out of all of his guests, I have to tell you, you are the one that I have always had the most trouble listening to. And I'm like, "Ah, well, you know, I'm kind of annoying. What the hell can I say? (laughs) You know, I wrote the wrong way sometimes. He goes, no, 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 it wasn't that. It's the substance of it. He goes, essentially, you're telling me that everything I believed in, all of these wars that I have, not everything I believe in, everything I did believe about all of America's foreign policies, my entire lifetime, you're telling me that I have to accept that I was wrong this whole time. Yeah. And that's really hard to accept. And of course, the problem is, is when I work through it, you make a compelling case about the Iran-Iraq war. Make a compelling case about Bill Clinton in the 
you make a compelling case about how blowback worked here and there and the other place. Yeah. And so I can't really argue with you, but I have to tell you that it really sucks not being able to argue with you. I, and it's been very difficult. It was very honest of him. You know, he's, he's essentially saying I won and he's right. And, and he's right now he's anti-war now. Um, because he had to whip himself into shape to the adjust himself to the new reality that was always the reality all along that he ignored. Yeah. Uh, but it was very difficult because it was, you know, that tied up with his own identity of who he thought he was all this time. He was a proud American patriotic tough guy who was for beating up on those foreigners every time they crossed us. Yeah. And, and so, and, and he spent decades and decades on end feeling that way about it and, and digesting all those talking points and factoids and things on those narratives. And so I understand it can be difficult for people. Um, and you know, that's why I try to attack the right from the right. As I can as a good libertarian, I'm better than the right wing you got on hard money and income taxation and laissez-faire economics and all yeah. of these kinds of things. And so I try to let people know that, you know, I'm not really asking you to change your identity from one thing to another. It's just, you got to admit that this stuff is bullshit, man. Yeah. Yeah. All of it is. It's all unnecessary. It's all so wasteful and so destructive and just doesn't have to be this way. It never did. And no matter what your identity is, you can keep it. You don't have to change who you think you are. Shouldn't have to really, because you shouldn't be that married to support for these kinds of policies, you know, where they're so tied up with your identity in the first place. Yeah. It doesn't have to be this way. It really doesn't. Yeah, I think a lot of that is nobody ever wants to see themselves as the villain of their of their own story. And so that's a big psychological barrier to overcome. And it sounds like the, the guy that talked to you and like Jackson uh, finally had come to terms with that. Yeah. Well, you know what? Everybody likes a good redemption story, too. That's true. I saw a story the other day. 90-year-old man comes out of the closet to his family. He's been gay this whole time. Yeah, I saw and, that same thing, and I'm like going, wow. So great. And everybody's saying, good for you, granddad. We all knew you were queer anyway, dude, right? Like, I don't care. Yeah. Nobody cares. You know? Go ahead and admit it, dude. This is what you already know in your heart is right. Just because some stupid hippie you detest said something that sort of sounds like it, too, doesn't mean anything. Right. Hippies are right about this, too. You know? Yeah, I mean, they were certainly right on the anti-war part back in Vietnam, so... I mean, in fact, look at, I think majorities uh, on the right support gay marriage and legal pot now. Well, those were always left wing and libertarian issues. And even conservatives are like, meh. Yeah, who cares? What do they care if two guys hold hands, I guess. Now that I think about it, I don't, after all. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing here. Why would you support one of Bill Clinton's or Barack Obama's wars, right? Or Jimmy Carter's? Yeah, exactly. So now. Yeah, just forget Reagan and, and, and Bush and the wonderful Republicans and just pretend that it had been Carter and then Clinton and then Obama this whole time. And these were their exact policies, but with brand names of people you previously already don't approve of. OK, and now look and say Barack Obama had marched our troops into Iraq in 2003. Sure. <laughs> you, you hear how crazy that sounds when you put it that way? Yeah, I mean, if it's going to help you get to sleep a half a second faster, you know, use whatever you got to yep. use. Well, I mean, the, the overall outcome is, hey, the, yep. these wars of aggression are the dumbest, most destructive, evil things ever, and they got to stop. 
and look at Donald Trump said that Donald Trump said in, in his typical hyperbole, he goes, you know what? When George W. Bush went to the Middle East, so not even just Iraq War II, but just the entire project yeah, the whole region. of yeah. America and Germany. And when he went over there, that was the worst decision any president ever made. Wow. Right. And he brought the right with him. I mean, American Republican rank and file oh, yeah. Tea Party type voters said, you know what? Actually, as long as Trump is telling me that it's OK to make George W. Bush walk the plank, then fine. Yeah, uh, it's it's you really know? funny how they like to use libertarian language, because that's what got me to vote for George Bush back in 2000. It's like, oh, we're, we're not going to go and do foreign intervention and no nation building and everything. I was like, OK, finally, maybe the son kind of realizes that his dad was all messed up and is not going to do the same thing. And boy, nope. that boy, did that blow up in my face. He sure wanted you to believe that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, you know, when. He was governor and Henry Kissinger and Paul Wolfowitz and Joe Biden and all these guys were coming to town to teach him about how we had to attack Iraq. Right. And it was already on before he even was sworn in long before. Yeah. And it's not like George Bush was a deep thinker. I mean, he could be easily had his arm twisted in one direction or the other. So, yep. I mean, and he wanted to do it all along anyway, but instead of telling him no, they were all telling him, yeah, yeah, let's, let's do this. <laughs> Yeah, so that's so that's so awful. So, um, yeah, so uh, Trump definitely has had the chance to to stop this, and he it definitely is looking like that he's not going to anytime soon. Um, and hey, look, let's take the opportunity to get way out ahead on the curve here and show that uh, predict that Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula is going to remain a major problem for America and allied interests in the region and around the world and possibly including inside the United States for a very long time to come because of this. Yep. Because of Obama's first war and second war and that second one that Trump has continued to carry out, especially, I mean, if fighting against these guys is counterproductive and only makes them more powerful. Yeah. And what do you think fighting for them does? Oh yeah. It's just going to embolden them. Yeah. yeah. It's just absolutely has expanded their power and influence. And look now, most of the people who joined up with them are just going to be local foot soldier fighters with a case who essentially make no difference, right. but there's going to be that core of, you know, their equivalent special operations guys who have broader interests yeah. and look at the attacks that AQAP has done in recent years in Europe. They can't always get to the United States, but look at what they yeah. did at Charlie Hebdo. And they participated in the attack on that concert. The um, was it the uh, it was a uh, Selena Gomez in Manchester, England. Was that the one? Uh, well, that was Libyans uh, there, and I don't oh, okay. think AQAP was in on that one. Um, but no, it was the one. Um, I'm so sorry. Is the Eagles of Death Metal? Oh, or something yeah, like the that. one in death France. Some, yeah, it playing in France yeah. that got a horrible massacre at their concert. Like there. 75 Absolutely people horrible. in the crowd and they had AKs. Yeah. Yeah. In a country that supposedly has like the strictest gun regulations of most of Europe. So <laughs> yep. go figure. And, and, you know, seriously, think about what the guys at the Pentagon must have thought. They're like, here, we're working with the Houthis to kill Al Qaeda guys. And now what we're doing? What now? Oh, man. And yeah. of course, what do they do? It's have click their heels and implement the policy. Yeah. Oh, yes, but sir. Man, I don't, don't want to. Great time Michael Vickers to resign, you know, and announce he's doing so on a Sunday morning news show. Yeah. Because Barack Obama is instituting a policy of treason. 
on behalf of the guys that bombed the coal and shot up Fort Hood. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the whole thing just stinks to high heaven. And then the UAE playing little little fuck you games with the, oh, these aren't Al-Qaeda guys. These are part of our militia. See, they're yeah, wearing seriously. our patches. Any Americans can see through that. But yeah, exactly. yeah. seriously, like, what, do, what do the generals think of this? Yeah. How are they putting up with this? You know, the CIA, you know, I asked one time um, a CIA uh, officer, former CIA officer I interview on the show, Phil Giraldi. Yeah. I asked him, hey, what do the CIA guys think about their support for al-Qaeda in Syria? Or, oh, I know what it was. It was when Trump finally called it off. In June of 2017, Trump canceled it. Yeah. And hilariously, the Washington Post headline was, a move sure to please Vladimir Putin. Oh, yeah, I got to stick with that narrative. Canceled CIA support for rebels in Syria. Like, are you guys kidding me now? He stopped committing high treason, and y'all are calling it treason. My God. Yeah. But anyway, so I asked Geraldi, so what do the CIA guys think of that? And he goes, well, of course, the CIA guys hate al-Qaeda. They never wanted to do this. You know, they would if it was up to them, Al Qaeda are the only guys they'd be killing right now. They would not or ISIS guys. They would not be fighting a war on their behalf against the Shia. No way. They're doing this because Obama made them and they're to a man relieved. You know, it's John Brennan at the top and Obama. They did this. But the actual officers were against it all along and are relieved to be relieved of the burden of carrying out that policy of implementing that policy, which is, again, it's treasonous. You know, when they accuse Trump of treason with the Soviets, it's just, I mean, with the Russians, it's an absolute hoax. But what he, they actually, what Obama actually did in Libya and Syria and what uh, Trump has continued in Yemen here, it is treasonous. It is outright on behalf of al-Qaeda. Now, when George Bush you know, waged a war that benefited Iran in Iraq. That wasn't treasonous because Iran isn't really the enemy of the United States. They don't hunt down and murder Americans. They don't kamikaze uh, civilian airliners into our skyscrapers. Right. It wasn't Hezbollah that did that attack yeah. on behalf of Iran. So that's a strategic mistake on the part of the empire empowering their enemy. Yeah. But then how do they correct it? By allying with our real enemies, the American people's real enemies yeah. who shed innocent American civilian blood. Uh, never mind our combat soldiers as well. Combat troops, because that includes Marines. Yeah. So, I mean, so, it, would, um, it would be like uh, going up into rural Kentucky, up into the hills there and said, uh, hey, what do you think about, you know, the U.S. providing air cover for Al Qaeda? You know, and these are going to be people who aren't going to be reading the news regularly. You know, they're going to look at you like you got three, three horns growing out of your head. Right. And in fact, remember when um, the uh, al-Qaeda in Syria, Jabhat al-Nusra, uh, launched the first false flag sarin attack in uh, August of 2013. Yeah, and that's and been Obama disproven so many different made, ways. I mean. I'm sorry? Oh, that whole, uh, the canisters and everything, you know, the being dropped from a helicopter or whatever, it's... Uh, that, well, that, no, that was later. So there are three major ones. Three the first major, okay. one, yeah, the first one was in Ghouta, which is a suburb of Damascus, uh, in eastern Damascus, in uh, August of 2013. Then was Khan which is a town to the northwest of Damascus, in uh, April 
of 2018, no, uh, 17. Right. And then was the one you're uh, thinking of was in, um, oh man, I'm sorry. It's right on the tip of my tongue. That one was Guta, Duma. Duma, yeah, yeah. The third one. And that was again in April, only uh, in 2018 for that one. So this is the first major one. This is in August of 2013. And Trump, by the way, fell for the bait both times and launched missile strikes against the Assad regime in 2017 and 18. Yeah. Obama eventually backed down. But at the time that Obama was considering doing it, there was, and this was led by, um, by Stephen Bannon and Breitbart at the time, but through their influence, they put it on all of talk radio and it was, you know, absolutely widespread throughout American right-wing media was American veterans or, you know, active duty, um, military holding up signs that covered, you know, half their face. Sometimes you could see their eyes, but you could certainly see that they're GIs or whoever, uh, military guys. And they're holding up signs that say, I didn't join the Marine Corps to go fight a civil war for Al Qaeda in Syria. Yeah. And those pictures were all over the place. Uh, And and people can look that up on YouTube and uh, again, on Google images, uh, it shouldn't be any problem to find those pictures. And it was numerous guys. I don't know, tens and tens and tens of them at least. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of them saying, I don't, why would I do this? So, and then by the way, so all the narrative to do it is all dependent on you not knowing who's who and what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Once you know who's who, well, you couldn't possibly support the policy at all. But instead, that's why they just talk about moderate rebels versus the evil dictator so that you don't get it, that this is a sectarian war, a a proxy war being fought between Riyadh and Tehran. Yeah. Yeah. And that's with America on Riyadh and therefore I'm an al-Zawahiri side. Yeah, and that's a definite problem. Uh, one of the many problems with American education is nobody knows who is who over there, what what has led to one group splintering off from the other. And uh, the whole thing with the Houthis is, I mean, they are the equivalent of those rural Kentucky guys up in the hills. You know, they just want to be left alone and have their own little area, but uh, you yep. know, can't leave people alone, I guess. That's exactly it. Although, you know what? I mean, I can't give them an excuse because – I first got interested in the difference between Sunni and Shia and where they lived just briefly when I was in junior high school. Yeah. And that probably There's blew your mind. Shiites. What's a Shiite? What's, where's a Shiite? It's yeah. no different than asking what's a, anything that you hear of. So for people that just have no interest or, or to be preemptively convinced that they cannot learn enough of this to try to make any of it make sense and figure out where they stand on it all to me is just it's irresponsible. I mean, I don't know. I don't really try to put it on other people, what I think their duty is or whatever, but yeah. to me, it seems like the least you can do to be bothered to know who we're killing and who's we, who our government is killing and which side, they're, which sides they're on and when they switch sides and then back again and so forth, you know, it's not that hard. Yeah. It's going to require a little bit of reading. <laughs> yep. So that's always the uh, the deal breaker for most. It's like, wait, I got to read words and stuff. <laughs> yep, maybe. I'll yeah. tell you what, Anderson Cooper ain't going to explain it to you. No, he definitely ain't going to. Uh, Mr. CIA in high school. He's a joke. Anyways. Yep. But uh, Scott, thank you so much for coming on. That's uh, probably a great spot to drop it off at. There's, uh, there's a lot of uh, fat for everyone there to chew on. So uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, drop all your plugs there? 
Sure. Well, first of all, uh, Ro Khanna, check him out. He's a congressman from California. He's got a new thing. And, you know, call your congressman don't mean much most of the time. But on the margin, it can make a real difference. And particularly, you know, if you're calling, a, if you have a Republican congressman, then attack the right from the right, frame it all at somehow supporting Trump and his overall policy and whatever kind of thing in a way to make it acceptable to them yeah. to fit in that scheme, that this is a thing that we can all oppose together. And that's what will make us great. And so, um, and on the margin, it does make a difference. And on the margin here, we're talking about innocent lives. So it does matter. Absolutely. So that's the first thing, um, is there is a brand new resolution about this that needs support. And then just as far as my junk, um, sign up for my podcast at scotthorton.org. I got more than 5,000 interviews for you there going back to 2003, scotthorton.org. Um, all of which I'm still proud of. That's why they're all there for you still. Yeah. Cause I was writing everything all along. Um, antiwar.com. I'm editorial director there. Libertarianinstitute.org. I'm the director of that. We got a brand new book by Sheldon Richmond coming out very soon. Yeah. I so can't wait. Keep the libertarianinstitute.org. And, uh, I'm on the radio in Los Angeles on Sunday mornings on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. And, oh, and I wrote a book called Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, which is also available in audiobook. If you could stand to listen to about nine hours of this. <laughs> I can. I don't know about anybody else, but I know I can. <laughs> right on. Well, thanks very much for having me on the show, man. Really appreciate it a lot. All right. No problem, Scott. Have a great rest of your day, okay? You too. All right. Bye. All right, folks. And there he goes. Uh, so you won't have to go looking very far for all that stuff because I'll have it all down below in the show notes. Uh, I'm going to try and get as many of those links as I can up there so that you can follow along. Uh, with the discussion as well. But uh, hey, guys, thanks for stopping by. And uh, if you want to support an independent content creator, because uh, I'm going to have uh, that go on my business card, right? Uh, check down in the show notes as well, because I have everything down there. I've got the Patreon, subscribe stars, uh, float. Uh, I've got my cash app, my PayPal and everything on there. Or if you just want merch, I got a Teespring store. Uh, I've got a whole bunch of stuff in there and, uh, you know, hopefully I'll start making some sales on that and that'll be awesome. <laughs> Anyways, guys, take it easy and we'll come back at you next time with another episode of Rebel with a Cause. Out.